tamariki o te ariki e hui nei roto i te aroaro o tō tātou ātua a ihu kraiti. Kā nui ngā nehi māhana kia koutou, kā nui nā reira nuku te honore ki te nehi māna hau kia koutou i tēnei rā. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Good morning, church, and welcome to our service this morning. It's my absolute joy to bring the Word of God for us today. We're in our second week of our sermon series, Refresh. Last week, we looked at what it meant to be living from a place of refreshing, that it was actually not really about the place or the name of the place that made it refreshing or how well built the place was. The essence of living from a place of refreshing was not the place, but the water. And so we need to encamp near the waters and pitch our tent near the water because that's where we will find refreshment by the waters. And this week, we continue our refreshment sermon series uh, and we're going to be reading from the, book, uh, from the letter of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 14. And here's what it says. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make sure, make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, uh, if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Have you ever had one of those moments where you jump onto a website and you you go to the website, you click enter, and the web page just doesn't want to load? Like you go to facebook.com and Facebook doesn't want to load, or you jump onto kmart.co.nz and it doesn't seem to want to load. But the circle buffering symbol just goes round and round and round and round and nothing seems to be loading. And so oftentimes what happens is you hit the refresh button or if you're like me and love shortcut keys, you hit the F5 button on the keyboard. And the moment you hit the refresh button, all of the little icons, they start to appear. They start to load. The different words start to load up right up until the entire web page has absolutely completely loaded and is up and running. This passage that we've just read was written to a group of people who were actually doing good. They were actually doing quite all right. But the audience of this passage, uh, but Peter is sending them this letter because he is on the verge of death. Peter is about to die. And so he is writing this letter to the people so that when he's gone, they've got something that they can refer to and remind themselves with and continue to encourage themselves with. The big issue that the audience of the text is facing is that there are so many false teachers whose doctrines and teachings are starting to infiltrate the church. And so Peter is writing to the people. He's wanting to assure the people of God in their knowledge of Scripture. He's wanting them to know the Word of God, apply the Word of God, but also grow in their relationship with Jesus. Peter is wanting the people to grow in grace and grow in knowledge of Jesus. Why? 
Because the more you know the real thing, the more you can detect uh, the wrong thing. The more you know what's authentic, the more aware you are of that which is counterfeit. If we're totally honest, we would say that we're living in a time where we've got exposure to so many different kinds of information. The World Wide Web has opened up our accessibility to so many different resources. There is an abundance of information at our exposal. There are different studies here, different news media outlets, different blogs, different articles, different literatures, even different doctrines and different teachings, all of which can start to make us feel like our faith isn't loading properly, like our walk with Jesus is starting to come to this place of stuck, like our fervor and zeal for Jesus is becoming more and more like this dial-up connection where we're sitting through the different tones, different waves, different signals, different screeching sounds, and we can't seem to get a proper connection because there's so much online traffic of different teachings out there. We just don't know what's right and what's wrong anymore. We don't know what's real and what isn't anymore. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If you ever feel like you are struggling with your faith, your walk with Jesus because of the different teachings out there, then my prayer today is that this message would serve as the F5 or the refresh button that you need in order to propel you and move you forward in your walk with Jesus. And so the question I'm asking this morning is, how do we know what false teaching is? According to Peter and in this text, false teaching is built on one thing the denial of Christ as Lord. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, here's what Peter is saying. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Peter is saying to the people, there will be false teachers among you, not from outside, but from within the church, who will secretly try to bring in destructive heresies. They will try to teach you something that's only going to lead to our destruction. But also the heresies that they teach, they promise you freedom, but it actually produces bondage. Not only that, ultimately at the core of all of these teachings is the fact that false teaching is built on this one thing, the denial of Jesus as Lord. You see, that word Lord is mentioned in this passage, and the Greek word for Lord is despotes, which means one with absolute authority. And this word carries the idea of ownership. It carries the idea of supremacy. It carries the idea of authority. And according to the scholars of the word, this particular word is used about four times in the New Testament and is used to refer to Jesus Christ himself. He is the ultimate authority. He is the supreme one. It's no wonder in John 1, 3, it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Peter is trying to remind the church at the time that at the core of false teaching is the denial of Jesus as Lord. Because to be a follower of Christ is not only to place your trust and your faith in Jesus for salvation, but also to make him the Lord of your life. He's not just your savior. He's not just the guy who died for your sins. He's your Lord. 
And so anything that ultimately has your highest priority and attention and reverence becomes your absolute authority. It becomes your Lord. It becomes your master. That which is occupying the space of highest importance in your life is your Lord. And so Peter is saying to the church, Jesus is your absolute authority. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your master. And anyone who preaches anything else is denying that Jesus is Lord. And so if there's anything that we can learn from this passage this morning about how we can refute and resist uh, false teaching, here's what we can do. The first thing is this, grow in our knowledge of God. Grow in our knowledge of God. The word knowledge is mentioned in Peter's second letter a total of 16 times. And the word knowledge in the Greek language is the word gnosis, which means connecting theory to application. In other words, knowledge means application knowledge. Knowledge is not just cognitive, it's experiential. And there are two aspects to knowing God. The first one is information. There is this natural aspect of knowing God, which brings us to an awareness of the facts. We have an awareness of the information. We have mental understanding uh, and knowledge of God. We are able to understand in the natural what the Word of God says about God. But then there's a second aspect, which is relationship. It's the spiritual aspect to knowing God, where it isn't just cognitive, Cognitive, it's experienced through relationship. We experience God through intimate relationship and fellowship with Him. When God gives you joy, He brings you the knowledge of joy in your mind, which produces an experience of joy in your life. In John 17, 3, Jesus defines eternal life as the knowledge of God. It wasn't mental knowledge, but an experience of intimate relationship with God. And so your current experience of God is a reflection of the amount of knowledge of God that's operating in your life. And so how do we grow in our knowledge of God? We grow in our knowledge of God through prayer, through worship, through fellowship. But most importantly, we grow in our knowledge of God by reading and meditating on the Word of God. As we meditate and read the Scriptures, our spirit feeds on those words and knowledge of God, not just mental knowledge, but experiential knowledge is imparted to us. And the more we read God's word, the more we meditate on God's word, the more confident we become, the more mature that we become, the more we grow in our knowledge of God. And so what what happens is anybody who comes my way and begins to teach me something that isn't in the word, it means I've got enough word deep down on the inside of me to detect whether this teaching I'm hearing is true or not. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to go out there and just be absolutely critical about every sermon that we hear and start Bible bashing people and be arrogant with a little word that we know. But just like Peter is encouraging the church at the time, having knowledge of God's word means that we won't be misled or misguided by any sort of teaching or doctrine that comes our way. I remember standing in Ōtara one time, we were waiting for Tali to finish work, and I had someone approach me, and they began to talk to me about the Word of God, and so I began to engage them in conversation, and this person went on to ask me, do you believe that there is a Father God? And I said, yes, I sure do believe that. And they said, do you believe that there is a Son of God? And I said, yes, I believe there's a Son of God. And then they said to me, if there's a a Father God and a Son of God, then there must be a mother God, right? And I began to chuckle to myself. And then this person went on to say to me, so what do you think about that? And I said, I think it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard under the sun. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that wasn't the best response on my part. But in that moment, 
I knew that nowhere in my Bible does it talk to me about Father God coming together with Mother God to create the Son of God. But we continued to chat. They began to pull out a scripture, and I said, I believe that scripture is talking about the Trinity. They pulled out another scripture, and I said, I believe that scripture is referring to the Holy Spirit. And I said to this person, you need to go and study the scripture, study it in context. You might even have to learn or like study the original language of the text in order for you to gain an understanding of what the Bible is trying to communicate. And so in this person's annoyance, they said, oh, have you studied the, the original language of the text? And I said, I actually have. Every week I'm preparing. I'm studying the original text. And so this person closed their booklet and they rush off. You see, the danger of not knowing God's word is that you could, like Paul said to the Ephesian church, you'll end up being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. But growing in the knowledge of God through his word means that we can speak the truth in love. I'm not saying this because I think I know the word. In fact, don't just go off of what I preach to you on Sunday or what, what gets said over the pulpit on Sunday. Go away meditate on it. Seek God and ask God to reveal his word to you more and more and more so that you may grow in the knowledge of him, but also do it in the context of community. Let your God revelations and studies uh, be part of your conversations. It's as simple as this. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17 says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If anything is going to help you resist and refute false teachings, it's the Word of God. So all the more reason to fill ourselves up with it. Grow in the knowledge of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, I want to grow. Love it. <laughs> Here's the second point. Here's another way that we can refute and resist the false teaching. Number two, we actively participate in building godly character actively participate in building godly character. Oftentimes when we hear those words actively participate, it can kind of throw us off and make us feel like, oh, so now we got to do stuff. I thought it was called the gospel of grace. Where's the grace in doing that stuff? Don't get me wrong. The concept of grace is heavy into Peter. But Peter is wanting the people to understand that God is wanting to multiply and expand their experience of his reality in their lives. And that isn't going to come without their participation. Yes, we are new in nature through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But this new nature needs to be fed and grow and expand so that Christ in our lives becomes more real, more dynamic, more impactful. Peter wants the people to grow in their knowledge of God. But again, remember, knowledge isn't in the Greek language isn't just cognitive, it's experiential. It's not just about knowing in the mind, but also applying it in your life. So Peter goes on to list seven things. He says, hey church, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. And so in light of everything that we've been given, continue to build 
by complementing your faith with virtue. Complement your faith with knowledge, with self-control, with perseverance, with godliness, with brotherly kindness, with love. And then he goes on to say, if you are doing these things and you are diligently pursuing these things, you will never be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. In other words, the more we add virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and all of these things to our faith, the more fruitful we become in our knowledge of Jesus. But I want to be clear. All of these traits are not there so that the people could start to strive their way to God's favor. It's not there so that they can start to work their way to earn favor, but rather they are there so that the people can be encouraged to live from the strength of existing favor through Jesus Christ. We've been saved through faith in Jesus, but because of that salvation that we've received, we now walk like we are saved. I haven't just accepted Jesus as my Savior. No, He's now the Lord of my life. And so everything I do, I do to please Him. And so we don't add godliness to faith because we're trying to get saved. No, we are saved through faith in Jesus. But adding godliness to our faith is how we live out our salvation. There was a quote I read and it said this, If what we believe about God doesn't lead us to act like we believe in God, then our faith is not saving faith, it's just opinion. Adding these traits that Peter is talking about is not required to gain or keep our salvation, but faith and these traits can't be separated. Faith and good works go hand in hand. But let me go on ahead and be honest with you, church. It isn't going to be easy all the time. It's going to take a lot of practice. It's going to take consistency. We're all probably going to get it wrong sometimes. I know I've gotten it wrong a lot of times because the truth is it's going to be hard to exercise self-control when you got somebody shouting in your ear about something you did a decade ago. It's going to be hard to extend brotherly kindness when your brother has cut you off because of a decision that they've decided to cut you off and they don't want to know you anymore because of your vaccine status. It's going to be hard to exercise godliness when your workmates and uni mates and even family are coercing you to do something that doesn't honor the Lord, but it seems to be helping them get ahead in life. And so it's going to get hard. It's going to be a daily dying to my fleshly urges and my fleshly desires. It's not just something that I try to fix through a Sunday experience. It's a daily decision to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. One of my favorite things to eat is donuts. Team Krispy Kreme all day, every day. There is nothing like a good old sugar-coated donut filled with loads of strawberry and raspberry-filling goodness. But one of the most bizarre things that I always find myself doing when I'm ordering these donuts is when, you know, the person says to you, did you want a drink with that? And then I take a minute and try to figure out what drink I'm going to have, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll have Coke, no sugar. As if the Coke, no sugar is going to cancel out all of the negative effects of 12 non-nutritional sugar-soaked fat-filled donuts, but it's like, who on earth am I kidding? You see, sometimes we think that church no sugar on Sunday morning is going to cancel out sinful living Monday to Saturday, but it just doesn't work that way. There needs to be a constant saying no to sin. There needs to be an active participation on our part. There needs to be a constant saying no to lying, no to stealing, no to gossip, no to giving into immoral sexual desires, no to false teachings. And so if we are not actively participating in building godly character, there is potential for us to easily become short-sighted, just like Peter is saying in the text. We become short-sighted even 
to blindness. And you see, Peter is saying to the church at the time, guys, if you grow in your knowledge of God through the word and actively participate in godly character, no false teaching is going to lead you astray. No destructive heresies are going to enter the church and feel comfortable pitching a tent in the church. Why? Because not only do you meditate on the word day and night, but you are somebody who is applying the word 24-7. If I can ask the keys to join me. I heard someone say this one time, that one of the greatest tragedies of our time that we are in right now is biblical illiteracy. Gone are the days where people would read a scripture, look at it, and then read it over again, read it over again, and again, and again. Bible reading has been reduced to reading an Instagram post about the Bible that hit the spot that morning on the way to church. Studying the Word of God has been reduced to reading someone else's revelation of the Word. Like, gone are the days where we wrestled in the Word of God. Godliness has been reduced to a hallelujah shout on Sunday morning during the sermon. We've become so distracted. We've become comfortable we've become consumed with life and my fear is that in the climate and a time where all sorts of teachings information articles are just available uh, for all of the world my fear is that we will get to a point where we won't know the wrong from the right we won't be able to know the real and the phony because you see when we neglect reading the word of god and when we neglect applying the word of god we don't just miss knowledge, we miss God. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let this message be message just, you know, be another, oh, that was a great message today. Don't let it be just another, oh, I felt that message today. But let it actually move you to actually doing something about it. I pray that you grow in your knowledge of God through the word and that you begin to actively participate in building godly character so that you will not be led astray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. Lord, our desire is to learn more of you and have a heart and mind that is focused on nothing else but you, Jesus. We long to grow in grace and knowledge of you, and so I pray that you would develop in us a deep desire to diligently study your word and apply the truths and the principles of your word in our own lives to your glory. Lord, we don't just... Uh, want head knowledge of your word. We want a heart knowledge of your word, of your biblical truth and godly love. We want to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. Help us to read your word, retain your word, remember your word, recall your word to memory and walk in the light of your word. We thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, we never like to close our service without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're here and maybe you've um, moved far, you're far away from God or maybe you're here and you've not yet said yes to Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. God loves you. He created you to know him. He created you to uh, enjoy loving fellowship with him forever. But the Bible talks about this barrier that keeps us disconnected from God. That barrier is that disconnect is caused by this thing called sin. And sin is doing things our way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But also that sin is the thing that disconnects us from God. The penalty of that sin is death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But it didn't stop there because God in his grace, he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay the wages of sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I would do for our sin. 
And He extends to every single one of us today forgiveness for our past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and everlasting life with Him in heaven. But you see, we must turn away from sin, turn away from disobedience, turn away from doing things our way, and turn to Jesus. Put our faith in Jesus. Put our trust in Jesus. The Bible says that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, I want to come into relationship with God, I want to know God, I want to be connected to God, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. But I also need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But this prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. So you repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen.